Tonight, we reveal the radical plan Republicans are using to seize power come November. How state legislatures are deliberately inciting social panic to mobilize their base and propel Donald Trump back to power. So why are Democrats not responding? That's all coming up on Narrative tonight. In the face of catchy headlines and heated debates between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, you might be tempted to think you're observing an actual contest for the Republican presidential nomination. In actuality, it resembles a reality TV show with a somewhat predictable plot. The narrative arc could be something like this. Never Trumpers are invited back into the Republican family, and their leader, Nikki Haley, joins Trump's presidential ticket as VP, all in the hope that it brings moderate Republicans and independent women back into the GOP fold. In contrast to normal politics, where candidates present distinct policies, Republican primaries have become a casting call for figureheads. Whether Trump or Haley wins the nomination, the script for the upcoming Republican presidency is already written. The journey to autocracy continues in full force, irrespective of who tops the ticket. And make no mistake, I'm not suggesting that Nikki Haley can actually make it to the top of that ticket. She'll be there in the role of VP. The current GOP architecture, the entire policy of the GOP, seems to reserve the top spot to white men only. The architects of this march to autocracy are the Heritage Foundation, an influential Republican think tank that published the 887-page Project 2025. This is the blueprint that lays bare in excruciating detail how the GOP plans to dismantle the administrative state and turn America into an autocracy. Stage one involves a ruthless purge in the public sector. Thousands of perceived liberal workers will be forced out, only to be replaced by far-right ideologues. Stage two is when they utilize this new ultra-right public sector as a tool for oppressing a host of human rights across the United States, backed by the full might of the U.S. government. And stage three sees a gutting of the very guardrails and checks and balances that kept Trump from implementing this plan during his first term. Take abortion, for instance. The plan goes further than just enforcing several laws compelling women to childbirth. They aim to revive a 19th century law banning the mailing of abortion pills and to authorize the CDC to monitor pregnant women and deny birth control coverage. While the abortion plan has attracted some media attention, an equally alarming GOP strategy lies beneath the surface. It's a comprehensive assault on LGBTQ rights and protections, wielding every federal agency that the Republicans can muster. Project 2025 calls for the CDC to collect invasive data on LGBTQ populations, abolish non-discrimination safeguards, and even investigate children who identify as transgender. For most Americans, the issue of gay marriage is settled law and receives about 70% of support from the population. However, the GOP has been extremely successful in gaining control of school boards and coupled with book bannings have now begun legislating some of the most severe laws designed to marginalize the LGBTQ community. And it's not just one or two laws in every state house. There are literally hundreds of laws being passed across the country at this very moment, particularly targeting the transgender community, but also now expanding to include the full LGBTQ coalition. In Florida yesterday, a legislation committee passed a bill compelling health insurance companies to cover conversion therapy. 
That is a therapy method that is denounced as completely ineffective, has never been successful, and has been banned by many state houses before. Why are Republicans seizing on LGBTQ rights? The answer is politics. They fully understand the power of anti-LGBTQ legislation in mobilizing the entire remaining 30% who do not believe in gay marriage. Those are Christian nationalists who view homosexuality as the greatest sin there is. Republicans are hoping that the issue will also deliver them the crucial suburban mom vote, the one that went towards Biden four years ago. For the GOP, this issue is nothing short of dynamite. It's the home, school, safety, their children. On the other side, Democratic supporters of LGBTQ rights remember the fallout following the re-election of George W. Bush in 2004. If you remember, Bush was not very popular at the time, but LGBTQ rights initiatives propelled Bush to victory. That is why national Democrats are fearful of responding to the anti-LGBTQ legislation. And I'm thrilled to welcome journalist and transgender rights activist Aaron Reed to the show today. Aaron writes the popular newsletter, Aaron in the Morning, and has become an increasingly influential voice on legislation impacting the LGBTQ community. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to Narrative. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. We're thrilled you're on because there is so much important information that you have. You've been meticulously tracking the amount of legislation which has been going through most of these state houses in red states. Yeah, I've been doing this for a while. I've been watching anti-LGBTQ bills and anti-trans bills move through state houses for the last five years or so. And what we see is how it grows every year. And you can think four years ago, we were looking at a few, a handful of bills that were targeting trans people in elite sports. And then the next year it was one single healthcare ban. And then the next year it was several healthcare bans and a drag ban. And now we're seeing tons of drag bans. We're seeing tons of adult restrictions, bathroom bans, school bans. Uh, it seems like it's it is getting to the point where there's not a single that it doesn't touch and it's filling over into other areas. We're seeing spillover into the abortion rights and anti-abortion fight. We're seeing it spill over into books and being able to have freedom of speech, for instance, and, and classrooms. It does seem to be an intense campaign this year, which is so different from anything we've seen in the past years. This is, it seems to be the most important issue for for Republicans, it seems, considering the amount of things they could worry about in the world, it seems that this is the most pressing. And it's bizarre because there is so much else to be worried about. A lot of this is styled as safeguarding children. It's designed to sell to parents as we're protecting your kids at school. Some of this legislation does impact schools, but most of it does not. It's about eliminating rights for trans people. What's really driving it? So I've thought about this for a while, and it's one of the most common questions that I get asked. And whereas my answer might have been different three or four years ago, we saw the planning sessions that the Alliance Defending Freedom and the other organizations had after they lost the bathroom fight in North Carolina in 2016. This was meticulously planned and, and coordinated. But now I think that the answer is actually a little bit different now. I think that we're past the phase of what they're trying to plan and do and more into the fire that has caught that is a moral panic, if you will. And we've seen moral panics before. We've seen them in the early 2000s around the gay marriage fight, where you had 32 states pass constitutional amendments against gay marriage. We saw it in the 1980s with the AIDS and HIV epidemic. We saw it in the 1960s with Stonewall, even going all the way back to the early 1930s with the rise of fascism in Germany, where the very first books that were burned, the very famous picture of books burning in black and white that you probably saw in your history books, 
those were the first 30 years of LGBTQ research specifically on trans people. And it's a moral panic right now. And I think that it's got, it's gone beyond politicking and like trying to figure out what's going to win an election or not. And now it's basically whatever Matt Walsh is going to blast you on Twitter, you're going to pass as a Republican. And it's very troubling because it's not just a moral panic. It's a moral panic that's also being twinned with an abortion uh, rights clawback. And it's also a, a moral panic that's being introduced at the same time as Donald Trump might be returning to the White House. We're seeing the same events or the same type of events that led up to the Reich in Nazi Germany happening here in America. That's not me being extraordinarily expansive in my description there. That really is what's going on. It seems to me that they're following the Hitler playbook. What we're seeing now with this anti-LGBTQ legislation is this real attempt to get at the underpinning of the panic around men, men not being with cis men, as you would say, but rather men have felt like they've lost their authority over, the, over everybody. They've lost their control. They lost their old family unit where they were in charge of everything. There was this male hierarchy that we all grew up with. That seems to be falling away. And that's the panic that we're seeing is white men struggling to get power back and they're doing everything they can to do it. I think you're really accurate about that. I report a lot on Matt Walsh, Charlie Kirk, all of these people that are the leaders in the anti-trans movement. If you watch them, you'll hear those same arguments. Our men are becoming effeminate. Our men are being ruined by, by a unmoral culture. And we see this time and time again. And you actually are extremely correct to connect this to the rise of fascism in Germany because I just helped edit a book specifically on that time period in the 1920s and the way in which they used a masculinity crisis, basically, to overturn civil liberties, to overturn civil rights, and to essentially seize power. And we're seeing that in, in the state houses across the country right now. You mentioned the abortion fight, for instance. We are seeing the rejection of the ability of people to vote on abortion. We saw, for instance, just this last week in Montana, the attorney general in Montana said that an abortion rights amendment was not going to be allowed to be on the, uh, on the state ballot for very contrived reasons. There was not a good justification of that. And we're seeing similar fights play out in Arizona and Florida. So yes, this is something that has strong connections to masculinity, to the control over women's bodies, and to the general idea that they are afraid of LGBTQ people and that we are going to somehow weaken America's men or something like that. It certainly seems to be supported by some studies that are being put out. I was really interested in the latest CDC study, which said that something like a quarter of a Gen Z high school kids were identifying as LGBTQ. But when you look at the numbers themselves, the numbers and the research in that uh, and the questions in that study are very different from the questions that were asked in 2015 when that was first surveyed. And the number had increased dramatically, but it's because the questions had changed dramatically. When you actually looked at the numbers themselves, still 3% of Gen Z identified as being gay. And that was the same number as certainly when I was growing up, that was 3% of kids who identified as being gay. Now, the others along the margins have changed because there's a lot more openness for people to talk about their, their sexuality and their sexual and their gender identities. Of course, they might identify as being more curious or more questioning. Those things might be happening in a greater rate just because that's what we're seeing in society. Gen Z is clearly much more open about gender identity than any generation before. The CDC comes out with this study, and then you get the whole GOP freaking out, using that as a reason for justifying this legislation. If you go back to the early 1900s, they did studies on the prevalence of left-handedness in society. And 
if you look at 1900 to 1910 or so, 3.5% of people said that they used their left hand predominantly. That then swooped up to about 12 to 13%, which is where it's been ever since. And whenever you look at that time period, you actually can find very stunning parallels to, to what happened. It wasn't that there was a sudden social contagion of left-handedness. It wasn't that left-handedness grew massively in society. It's that people were finally allowed to use their left hands in schools. We made accommodations with left-handed desks, left-handed tools, writing utensils, scissors, and all of these things happened. And then on the other hand, there was even a parents' rights movement back then about if you it, let kids be kids, let them use their left hand versus another group that was saying, no, we can't accept left-handedness in school. They're going to all become miscreants and criminals. This was the same arguments that were done back then. So the comparison is strong. The truth of the matter is, is that LGBTQ people, we've always existed in, in society. You can go back throughout human history and find us trans people, especially as well. But now that we are finally making accommodations in schools, we're finally making accommodations in, in our daily life, people feel more free to come out. I, I, I was a trans kid back whenever I was 12 years old. I had my own little website online that had my name on it and all. But the thing is that in Louisiana, at 12 years old in the 1990s, it was not possible to transition. And so I could not identify myself. I would have identified as not trans back then on a survey because I wasn't allowed to be. Right. And yes, things change whenever you finally accept people. That's very good point. And thank you for sharing that. Behind all of this, of course affecting a lot of people in America here are people who are going to be struggling and are currently struggling with their lives because of this LGBTQ legislation. We hear a lot about how people are struggling with the abortion bills. And of course, that's very stark reality. But there's lots of a great fear amongst LGBTQ people of what's coming. Certainly, we don't know where this is going to end. We don't know to what extent this GOP push might go, especially when you have the framework of Adolf Hitler and lurking behind you here. There's an enormous amount of fear, and especially fear amongst kids, which seems the most reprehensible fear to be inflicted on anybody. If you're going to inflict it, inflict it on adults, but instead they're going after these kids and who are, who are trans and can't even use the same bathrooms as their gender identity, it seems, it seems unbelievable. And I want to actually humanize this a little bit yeah. for your audience and let them know what this actually looks like. I talk to parents of trans kids all the time. I talk to trans people all the time. And... I hear stories about how there's a trans kid that's been using this bathroom for years now and under a law in Iowa cannot do that anymore and therefore has to hold her pee the entire day. She's gotten UTI. This happens. This has been filed in lawsuits. And then you see a place like West Virginia or Alabama where they're passing gender affirming care bans that might make it illegal to take your kid out of state. And you have this situation where there are 15, 16 year old trans girls that have been known as themselves for their whole lives who now will be forced off their medication and forced to grow facial hair in front of their friends. Like, it's terrifying. And the situation that these kids are being put in, like, there are trans girls, young teen trans girls, who now are going to be forced to go into a male changing room. Mm. They've got breasts. It's horrifying. We talk about this, and you talk about, like, where does this end? I watched the Missouri hearings on a few bills a couple days ago. Representative Mann in Missouri basically said it best. He was like, I'm a student of history. I know where this kind of stuff leads to. We, we, we pass more and more bills every single year on this issue. And where does this end? There will not be enough cruelty to quench your thirst here. People are fleeing right now. People are being forced to leave their homes. It's not a good situation for them. And you're getting uh, some legislation. There's conversion therapy now being considered again under the Florida legislation where they'll be having conversion therapy paid for by health insurance. This is discredited, debunked science. It's never worked. 
people have spent billions of dollars on trying to make, make it work. It just doesn't work because it's not effective. And here is the Florida legislature saying, we don't care that it doesn't work and we don't care that there's no science behind it. We're going to continue this brainwashing of kids who identify as, uh, as LGBTQ. It's unfathomable that they're doing this in this day and age. Yeah, so you're talking about Florida House Bill thir- uh, 1639, and this bill uh, would mandate that all health insurance providers cover conversion therapy. It doesn't matter that this practice is outlawed in 22 states, and even in the states where it's not outlawed, there are very few practitioners because licensing boards don't allow it. And here Florida is basically going the exact opposite direction and saying, actually, yes, you should be able to put your kid in conversion therapy and we'll make insurers pay for it. Wow. Um, it's It's going to be brutal for those kids. It's not only in Florida that we're seeing this. We're, we're seeing this in West Virginia. We saw a bill in West Virginia just this last week that would mandate all therapists in the state practice conversion therapy under the age of 21. Whenever the Florida legislator presented House Bill 1639, he was asked, does this make does this mandate that insurance providers cover conversion therapy? Usually in the past, like they would try to couch the language and say, oh, it's not conversion therapy. It's just helping them get used to their gender or something like that. And no, it's just conversion therapy. It's good to hear that they're making that admission, at least. The labeling of these bills is so stunning. I won the one out of Utah. It was an anti-bullying bill. It was legislated as an anti-bullying bill, but it was actually bullying kids. It seems, I don't see how they sleep at night when they put together legislation like this. It just seems just unbelievable. I'm going to play you something that I found from your Instagram. This is Shannon and Sean Miller. It's a little lengthy, but it's worth everyone hearing it because it's very powerful. You know a lot about this. Shannon and Sean Miller. Shannon is the mom. Sean is the daughter. They're in Ohio, right? They're in Ohio. Great people. Yeah, let's take a listen to them. I don't know how many of you here are parents, but I'm sure you can relate to the fact that there are so many things that you could never prepare for in being a parent. For us, it was raising a transgender child from the very beginning. When we have two children that were both assigned male at birth and one walked out and came out as feminine because possibly could be. As soon as she, she could walk, she walked on her tiptoes because that's the way that the Barbies and the princesses walk. Her preferences were pink and princesses and anything that sparkled. And as you can imagine, that made some people very uncomfortable. They told us to take away our toys and give that kid some G.I. Joes. To cure her of her feminine tendencies, like being feminine, was a disease. But then there were the people and many more people who looked beyond the toys and the colors and saw who she was. When she danced like a ballerina princess, she had so much joy that other kids danced like ballerinas with her, including children who normally had trouble communicating and kids who didn't always fit in. As early as preschool, her teachers told me she was one of the kids that reached out to everybody and made sure that they fit in. She never left anyone out. By the time she started kindergarten, she had experienced enough people mocking her for her feminine likes that she became selective about choosing her clothes and even her backpack. When we walked into Target, she said, I'll find a neutral backpack, Mom, which just broke my heart. And she walked over, dancing and excited like she was, with a hot pink backpack, with neon hearts going down the front. So neutral. And a little tiny monkey about this big, and she looked at me and she said, Everybody loves monkeys. Mom. And that's Sean, right? So her brother and I laughed because that eternal optimism has always been who she is. The two of them are extremely close 
and he's very protective of her. Mm -hmm. When we told him that she was a girl, his only responses were, it makes a lot more sense than making her pretend to be a boy anymore, mom. And his second response, and I'm telling you, he was nine years old at the time, was how are we going to keep her safe? Because Sean's big transition came during the time when Caitlyn Jenner came out, and he already knew the world was not a safe place for her. I have so much more to say, but what I'd like to say the most is that we have sat through these testimonies and meeting with legislators for six years now. I never thought that one of my children would have human rights and the other one would be denied. It is horrible to stand here as a parent. And I didn't talk about my need for medical care and all the other things in these bills because you need to see us who we are. We are families with children that we love and we're desperate to get the care that we need. There are so many things about parenting I never expect. And despite all that we've had to navigate with both of our children, having to fight our own government for the right to save their life is the last thing we anticipated. The last fight we needed and the last fight we and all of my other parents here today deserve. Thank you. I don't know. Powerful testimony there by Shannon Miller. Now, um, you were there? Were you there at the time? Or did you just see that on? I was not there at the time, but I have met with two of them before in person. I spoke at a an LGBTQ youth center in Ohio and got to meet them. They're wonderful people. They seem very courageous. And the courage of Shannon to speak, of course, is enormous. But Sean also addressed the council there. And it really, both of them have so much courage to be facing this so publicly. Now, can you imagine in a family that is less tolerant and accepting or in an environment that is less tolerant and accepting than that household, how difficult it's going to be going forward in Ohio or in any of these other red states where kids need to struggle with their gender identity? It's hard because not everybody can leave. And there are people that will be able to leave and that will be able to get out. And if they can if that's the right decision for those families, I understand it. They need to get the care that they need. I know some families that left all the way from Alabama to go to Massachusetts. I know one family that's living out of their van because it's better than where they were being persecuted by Alabama. And so a lot of families won't be able to. And I think that the biggest thing that I always say is that it's important to find community in your local environment and to have those people that you can turn to that are going to be there for you even when these bad laws pass, the people that are going to drive you and your kid across the state border to get care, the people that are going to help book things, the people that are going to be there whenever you need to hide, if you need to hide. And these, these are the hard decisions that a lot of these families are making right now. And then for the ones that do struggle a little bit more with like acceptance and understanding, I think that a lot of us, myself included, we all carry our own biases because of that. But in this day and age, you can see there are trans people that are successful, that are doing amazing things, not just activism. We see video game designers, musicians, Kim Petras. We see actors and actresses and writers. And there's a vibrant and beautiful world out there for these trans youth, for the ones that are allowed to be who they are. And people like, people like the folks that you just showed on the screen, they show that Life gets so beautiful once you allow somebody to flourish. And that's what I constantly hear from all of these hearings. That is very inspiring. It really is. Also, when, you heard, when I heard you talking about having to run and hide in, and find places you can hide, 
in the United States of America in 2024, that seems like such an anathema. It seems unbelievable that we are talking about this kind of draconian legislation being passed. And yet there seems to be a vacuum on the other side. Democrats are not responding. Joe Biden, who was the godfather of gay rights in, in, in America, this is him from 2012. I am absolutely comfortable with the fact men marrying men, women marrying women, and heterosexual men and women marrying women are entitled to the same exact rights, all the civil rights, all the civil liberties. And quite frankly, I don't see much of a distinction beyond that. This is a blind spot, I feel, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show. It, just ignoring this thing, letting red states get away with more and more draconian measures is dangerous. It's going to ultimately allow these laws to be enacted and whatever follows through with that is going to happen. But it's also just bad po politics because by the time this gets to November, you'll have a whole electorate of suburban women who are now activated on this issue because they believe the, the right on this. What are your thoughts on how the Democrats are responding? Yeah, so I think that I think that the bigger disconnect is actually between the state level Democrats and the and the national ones. Because in many of these state houses, I've actually seen a lot of good fight. Like I saw in Nebraska, for instance, they shut down the legislature for eighty two days in a really? filibuster. Yeah. That. It was actually the longest filibuster I believe in history. It was an eighty two day filibuster in Nebraska led by Michaela Kavanaugh. And it was incredible. And we saw a lot of fight in a lot of these state legislatures. And even in bluer states, we've seen laws that are now protecting trans people. For instance, in Washington state, they passed the safe state legislation, a shield law, where you cannot get somebody's medical records from out of state as, a, as an attorney general. And Ken Paxton, the AG of Texas, who all of those folks are making big waves right now with immigration stuff, as I'm sure everybody's aware of. But he tried to say that if you left Texas to go get care at Seattle Children's Hospital, I want your medical records. And Seattle Children's Hospital said no, because Washington passed the law that I can't do that. So I, I want to, before I talk about the national stuff, like state level is actually local has been working well. But at the national level, you're right. It's been relatively quiet. And I don't think they are prepared for what happens when this wave hits them. And I've taken meetings with national Dems. I've talked to some of them and helped them understand what's happening on the ground and, and what you can expect to see in these hearings. We're starting to see the gender affirming care of the sports hearings. We had an, a national sports bill that was just heard a month ago where Riley Gaines testified in front of Congress. It's for me, as somebody that's been watching this in all of these state houses for four years now, I just hope that they are ready in the same way that some of these other folks were able to talk about it in the state houses. And I, I hope that they learn. Yeah. I hope that they, they learn from what's going on. I hope they do too, and I hope they do so quickly because I think what they're going to be facing come November is a really unexpected wave of ambivalence towards them because a lot of the Gen Z, which really is a generation which is so far behind this, the, the new way of approaching gender identity, they're not going to be as activated if they don't realize that this is a big national issue. We need them to come out in their droves, and they, that is part of the Biden coalition that needs to be showing up. And they might not be as activated if they don't realize that Biden is really fighting for LGBTQ rights. And at the same time, the suburban women, which is the sort of the supposed independent women who live in the outskirts of some of these red states that really can swing elections, if they're not getting a counter narrative to all this information they're getting from the right, they're just going to be fed propaganda. They're going to start believing it. It's going to start seeping into the, into the, the way they, they live. And because it's about protecting their kids, of course, they're going to vote that this is a very big groundswell and it's 
it, it, we saw it work in reverse in 2004 when Bush was reelected. And it worries me that we're, by ignoring it, we're going to recreate it. And I hope that this show works in activating some of the left in terms of making this a national issue. I think it's one of those issues that people can really get behind. People can get behind rights being taken away and freedoms being taken away. America is about freedom, so we should be able to do that. And there are good ways of framing and talking about these issues. What I will say is I, I want to pull back slightly because what we do know, at least we know that there's opportunity here. There is opportunity here to get ahead on this and to win on this even. Because what we see is every time in these state races that they have tried to make this their big issue to run an election on. But whenever they try to run an election on this, mm. we, we've got really good examples. We can look at we can look at Andy Bashir in Kentucky. The American Principles Project spent like $5 million in anti-trans ads with floating scissors around kids and stuff like that. We saw in Judge Janet Protasiewicz in Wisconsin, who won the Supreme Court race there. The big issue there was that she was going to allow sex changes for minors. We saw in Georgia, Herschel Walker versus Riley. Riley Gaines sat with Herschel Walker on an ad against Reverend Ralph Warnock, and Warnock won that race. Andy Bashir won by more than his first race. Judge Janet won. We just saw in Virginia where... Glenn Youngkin made trans people in sports one of four of his main priorities, and he, like, passed it out at all of the Republican um, election meetings and stuff like that and all of the campaign rallies. And the Virginia Democrats, you know, they, they swept in, in a way. And so what my point in saying this is that when they focus so hard on this because they assume that everybody else has bought into their moral panic, mm. that hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. And it's important to realize that. Yeah, the danger is there. Absolutely. The danger is always there with moral panics. But right now, not everybody has bought in on this. In fact, most people have not bought in on this because honestly, most people don't care. Most people don't want to, to think about trans people every single day. That's not the issue that they want their legislators working on. Mm -hmm. And we saw this in Missouri where uh, one of the people said, one of the representatives, the Democratic representatives was like, we literally have 10 other priorities, even on your, by your own party has 10 other priorities that they listed. Yeah. There's no bill being advanced. It's just this. What would you say to a suburban mom who is worried about her child going to school and somehow being influenced into becoming an LGBTQ person because of the amount of attention and the amount of resources they, they are told are being actually made available to students at school. What would you say to, to that mother about why she shouldn't uh, be so worried? The thing that I'll say as a mom myself, I've got an eight-year-old kid, is to love your child as they are, not as who you want them to be. Don't love the idea of your child more than your child themselves. If your kid de develops an identity because they themselves have an internal sense of who they are and they come to you with that, that's a beautiful thing. That's something that you should feel proud of. And, and if your kid trusts you enough to talk to you about who they are, that's something that anybody should feel proud of because you've raised a kid that will always come to you. And as far as the literature, as far as the being influenced to be LGBTQ, there's a lot of good research out there that there's no ability to turn somebody trans or to turn somebody gay. If this worked, conversion therapy would work. And there's a reason why conversion therapy does not work. It's because people's gender identity and sexuality are not something that you can just going in luck with. Instead, by giving a space for people to explore who they are, to develop who they are, that will result in a fully formed person. And I'll take a fully formed person over somebody who 
doesn't want to talk to me every single day who keeps secrets from me. Like my son and I have a great relationship and I'm happy and blessed because. Mm -hmm. That is very inspiring. Thank you for that. What do you see in the next five years? Do you see an America with even more clawbacks on human rights and especially LGBTQ rights? Or do you see the alternative when there's a, one where there is a lot more hope? It, it, I see a divergent pathway and I see a pathway where this becomes one of those time periods where we say, poop, things got bad there for a little bit, but we really came out of it. But it could also be one of those time periods that we say, this was the beginning of how it all happened. And I look at November, I look at the election and it's hard to look at that election and not think that it will be monumentally consequential for my community, for LGBTQ people. I think that we look at the Supreme Court justices, we look at the decisions that are coming up for decisions soon, but it's going to determine a whole lot. The other thing that I'll say is that regardless of what happens, the good or the bad outcome in this next year, it's going to take a generation. It's going to take 10 years to pull back from where we are these state laws are not going to overturn themselves. That's going to take a lot of movement to push the week. It took us 20 years to codify marriage equality after the very first state allowed gay marriage. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what we're going to be faced with. This is a generational struggle. This is potentially a good wake-up call for everybody. This is not an issue that can be ignored. This is becoming one of the biggest issues in the presidential elections and in the general elections. And it's so important that everybody starts taking note of what is happening. This legislation is not just limited to some school-related issues. This legislation is going far beyond that and is impact impacting the entire LGBTQ community. We have to get mobilized around this, and Democrats need to start understanding this is a potential, a powerful, as you point out, a powerful thing for them heading into these elections. It'll mobilize a lot of people and mobilize a lot of Gen Z people and mostly it'll mobilize the LGBTQ community. There are a lot of people right now that are fighting really hard for their right to exist, to, to move freely in the country. Your audience is hearing me. I get to speak in a lot of places and even I am gonna have my travel limited because Utah with their bathroom ban is gonna apply to the airport there. And I pass through Salt Lake City Airport all the time. And it's horrifying. And I want to just put out there that if you've got trans coworkers, trans family, trans colleagues, trans kids, people in your community, be understanding that a lot of us are, are really struggling with a lot of things right now. And if you can help out, do whatever you can. Can we, can we just talk a little bit more about that particular example? So you would get off a flight at Salt Lake City and you might need to go use the bathroom. I've been, I've been using the women's room for years now and I've never had, never been challenged in it. But the thing is that the new law in, in Utah could make it so that if if I get off the plane in Salt Lake City, whenever I'm visiting my fiance, who represents a district in Montana, I will have to hold it or I'll have to wait till I get on the next plane. It's dehumanizing. And how do they tell to police this? Are they going to start checking people? This is one of the reasons why the Salt Lake City DA came out and said, you're going to make our police like confirm sex changes. Like, how, how are you going to do that? It's never really been an issue who's gone into bathrooms. I don't think it's ever been people have ever checked anything like that, but this would be a remarkable draconian measure to do something like that. But for someone who's a, a passenger on a flight who then can't use a bathroom, I just shake your head, it can't be, it can't be possible in this day and age that uh, people are passing this kind of legislation. And I'm sorry you have to go through that. Aaron Reed, thank you so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Aaron in the morning is one of the, my favorite reads on uh, Substack. 
one day you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives.